Let's pray and ask the Lord to take His Word and do a work in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, by Your Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts so we might grow. Grow in our understanding and our application of Your amazing grace. Your astounding, radical, life-transforming love that we all need to hear anew in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask for His namesake and for His honor. Amen. As Dan said, for uh, more than two decades after I left here as, uh, as pastor, I taught a, um, a required seminary class. I don't know how I got this one, but at every cemetery, I mean seminary, uh, the, uh, there is a first semester, first class that first year students have to take. And guess who taught it for 22 years? And so it was a very interesting dynamic because the truth is, as I got to know the students, they would often say they were nervous. Some of them hadn't been to school in a long time, and this was graduate school, and this is their first class. And I always started that class with a pop quiz, very gracious of me. Uh, but, to, but to help them, not because I, I, knew, I knew how they felt. And to help them in their nervousness, I told them that this quiz is not going to be graded. And this quiz, don't even put your name on it. I do want you to turn it in. But this question that I'm about to ask you as you begin your seminary training is probably the most important question that you'll ever be asked in seminary and frankly that you'll ever be asked in life. And so your answer to this question has profound consequences. And then came the question. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? I asked this question for 22 years. And that that means I received and read very carefully not just hundreds, but thousands, thousands of answers. And I never, got, I never got a wrong answer in more than two decades. But most of the answers, especially at first, and that was the purpose of the course, most of the answers were incomplete. And the course outcome was that by the end of this course and by the end of your seminary career, that you would have a very different and a much more full answer to that significant question. And that's because God made the meaning of the gospel simple enough for a child to understand. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a correct answer. Believe in Jesus so that you can be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. That's a correct answer. Those are the kind of answers I would receive. But God has also made the gospel not just simple enough for a child to understand, but so deeply profound that the greatest minds could never fully grasp its depths. And one of the things that God calls followers of Jesus to do is to grow 
in our understanding and application of the depth of His amazing grace and love for us in Jesus Christ. And this is why, very simple but profound, the degree to which you understand the meaning of the gospel and know how to apply that meaning to your life, especially your fears, your worry, your trials, and your losses, is the degree to which your life will be transformed in the degree to which God will be honored in and through your life. That's why it's such a significant issue. The gospel is not just, it's not just a gate that we pass through one time to be forgiven and have eternal life. The gospel is also a path that we need to be walking every day of our lives so that we're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The old Puritans used to say the gospel is not only how God saves sinners, but it's how God sanctifies saints. And most of you here today who just heard me say that, know that. But there's still a high fog factor when it comes to knowing how. How can we grow deeper in our understanding and application of the gospel. And so to do that this morning, for a moment, let let Scotty beam you back to an actual uh, make-believe seminary classroom, and you've just come into the room, and I'm saying, pop quiz! And you get a quiver in your liver. I want you to think, I want to even pause for a moment. How would you answer the question? What is the gospel? What would you say? What would be your most succinct summary? What is this good news? Got your answer? Normally, I, when I preach, I preach on chapters, rarely, paragraphs, more often, verses, clauses, Guess what I'm preaching on today? One word. The word used multiple times in in both the readings, the word gospel. Euangelion. The word Paul uses, the word used in the gospels. Let's look at the answer to the question, what does scripture tell us? The answer is to what is the gospel. First, Let's look at the big picture. The big picture in Scripture tells us that the gospel is this. This is kind of the cosmic understanding, the big picture view. Historically, the biblical word gospel refers to a proclamation of news about some historic event, something that is very significant and something that is very good that has happened in history. It's the proclamation that something has happened Very significant and very good. And so the gospel at its core, as strange as it may sound at first, is good news about God. What's interesting, when the Apostle Mark describes the message that Jesus was proclaiming, 
What is, mes- what, what is this message Jesus is proclaiming? Mark says it is the good news about God that Jesus is proclaiming. And to put it in a nutshell, that means the gospel is the proclamation of who God is and what God does in history. Something very significant and something meaningful. So, let's answer the question, almost like a catechism. Who is God? Who is God? The Bible's answer. God is the one and only God. God is the one triune Lord. That's who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's the answer to who is God. Well, what does this triune Lord do in history that is such good news? The Bible teaches, and it is interesting, theologues and hermeneutics use Latin a lot. They call it the Magnalia Dei. That, that the triune Lord in history has done three magnificent acts as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so guess what? we got three points. No poem, but three points this morning. The triune Lord in history has performed three magnificent acts to deliver his people from their sin and all its consequences. And they include the magnificent acts of God the Father as Lord of creation, the magnificent acts of God the Son as Lord of redemption. That's point two. And point three the magnificent acts of God the Holy Spirit as Lord of restoration. Let's dive in. The good news about the magnificent acts of God the Father as Lord of creation. In the beginning, God created the world to be an eternal cosmic display of his glory as he rules over everything as triune lord and he created everything to be an eternal cosmic display of his glory as he rules over everything as lord and when god created the garden of eden it was literally heaven on earth as they experienced ultimate joy and peace and happiness this was because God created us. Now notice this, th- this theme in all of these three magnificent acts. The reason it was so glorious in the garden was because God created Adam and Eve with a perfect standing of innocence before him. Number one. Number two, a pure heart that loved and cherished him. And number three, a perfect world where they flourished as they carried out God's perfect will on the earth. Now, are you getting this? A perfect standing, almost like a judicial standing before God. A perfect heart and a perfect world. However, you know, evil entered the story through a very real villain, Satan, who overthrew God's kingdom on earth by tempting Adam and Eve to sin, with the result of the fall of humanity. Now, when Adam sinned, 
that sin, the Scripture teaches, was rightly regarded by God to be the sin of all of us, His descendants, the entire human race. And as a result of sin, not only humanity, but all of God's good creation under God's just curse and came under Satan's rule. So here's the bad news that we must first embrace or the good news will never be good to us. And that is, although God is a loving and a merciful Father, He is also a perfect, righteous, just judge. And so therefore, God must punish sin or He would not be God. He would not be just. And the result is we are all born under God's threefold curse. See that three again? We are born under a threefold curse that reversed our original threefold blessing that enabled us to flourish according to God's design. Let me describe it just briefly. Our perfect standing of innocence became a condemned standing of guilt under God's curse. We're born separated from God, alienated from His loving presence. Our pure hearts became corrupt hearts with disordered loves, Augustine says, dead to God, enslaved to idols, producing ungodly lives and disobedience to God. And our perfect world became a broken world. Just look around you. Not just spiritually, but all spheres of life, socially, culturally, politically, economically. And worse than all this, it's the bad news we have to embrace before the good news is good. Worse than all this, the Bible tells us that there is absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves from God's just curse. All world religions except Christianity, consist in things people are trying to do to be right with God. But the problem is, it is not possible to do enough because we would have to be perfectly righteous. Now, that's the bad news. It's good news from here on out. You ready? This brings us to the second of the three points. Not only is it the good news that the magnificent acts of the Father is Lord of creation, but it's the good news of the magnificent acts of the Son as the Lord of redemption to reverse that threefold curse. Now follow me. God's purpose for fallen humanity and creation would not be thwarted. Soon after the fall, God reveals His plan of salvation when he proclaims the gospel to Satan as he curses him for what he did to overthrow his kingdom. That was another pop quiz question. Where's the first time the gospel was proclaimed in the Bible? Who proclaimed it to whom? Proclaimed by God in the garden to Satan when he cursed him for overthrowing the kingdom on earth. And in that promise, God made clear that his plan would not be thwarted because he would send a deliverer who would defeat Satan and restore, notice this, reversing the curse, and restore fallen humanity and creation to flourish 
as God's kingdom on earth again. The Old Testament reveals how God carries out His plan through a series of covenant promises and oaths. First through people like Adam and Noah, and then through Abraham and the nation of Israel, led by Moses and David. Then 400 years passed until Jesus shows up proclaiming the good news that He is the promised deliverer the Redeemer, who would deliver His people and reestablish God's kingdom on the earth according to His original design at creation. And in the New Testament, Jesus' apostles revealed that there were five historic events, magnificent acts, that took place through the person and work of Jesus to redeem his fallen people and his world from this just curse. Let me review them for you. First, his birth. This is the good news that in order to rescue us and this runaway planet, the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, took on a human nature and entered our story to rescue us as our Redeemer King. He came into enemy territory to rescue us. And then there was his life as God's second Adam or the true Israel. He didn't fail as Adam and Israel did. He lived the life we should have lived. He faced the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil that defeat us. But here's the good news. He never sinned. And in so doing, don't miss this, he earned a record of perfect law-keeping, a record of perfect righteousness that we could never earn. Remember earlier, the problem is we can't be perfect. He suffered and resisted the temptations that we have fallen to so he could earn a perfect record that could be counted to us. But there's actually more. His birth, his life, his death. He was not only our substitute in life, this magnificent act of God. He was our substitute in death. When he died on the cross, he didn't simply experience the pain of physical suffering and death. He suffered the full wrath and the full punishment of God that we deserve because of our sin. Let that sink in. The Bible says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He died the death we deserve to die in our place. And on that cross, it was even more. On that cross, Jesus delivered the fatal blow to Satan as the promised seed of the woman and his horrible rule over broken humanity in the world. And then the fourth event. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. The meaning of that? He raised him from the dead to prove that his rescue mission was a success. This is the good news 
that Jesus not only conquered Satan and sin and death, but he inaugurated God's kingdom on earth by revealing himself, Paul says, as the firstborn from the dead of the many, that's us, who will follow him when we are raised from the dead and given new resurrection bodies when he returns so that the mission of establishing his kingdom on earth would be experienced. And there's more. Forty days after his resurrection, he ascends back to the Father's right hand, where he now rules as king and head of his church, carrying out God's will until he returns, as the creed says, to judge the living and the dead. But the good news is not only these are called the gospel events, but the good news is not only the gospel events of what he did, but the scriptures teach it's who he is because of what he did that is the good news. Because of his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, God has now declared him to be the one and only Savior and Lord of the cosmos, of the whole world. As Savior, God has given this Jesus the sole authority and power to deliver us from God's threefold curse of our guilty standing, our corrupt heart, and our broken world. And as Lord, God has given him the authority to demand that everyone, everywhere, bow before him and submit to him as King of kings and Lord of lords. I feel like those infomercials, but there's more. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing grace, but there's more. The good news is not only what Jesus did and who he is, but it's also the crescendo is what we'll end with. Is what God now promises. This is mind-blowing. What God now promises all who will bow before him as Lord and Savior in genuine repentance and faith. This brings us to the third point. Gary. This brings us to the third point which is the consummation of it all. And that is the good news of the magnificent acts of the Holy Spirit as Lord of restoration. Hear this. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, God poured out His Spirit on His people at Pentecost as evidence that Jesus is now seated on God's throne as Savior and Lord, to restore God's new humanity, God's new Israel, now called the church on earth, by the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit. Now let this sink in. God now promises to do some magni magnificent acts in you. 
as he applies the finished work of Christ by his Holy Spirit to reverse God's curse, threefold curse on you with a threefold blessing that the more it sinks in, the more blown away you will be by how amazing grace is. And so let's wrap this up by looking at those three promises. Three promises. First, God promises to reverse for all those who will repent and believe and bow before him as Savior and Lord. First promise, notice it's reversing each of the three curses. First, God promises to reverse your condemned standing of guilt by forgiving you and giving you a mind-blowing standing before him in the heavenly court. We don't have time. I actually have an entire course on what I'm about to say in the next four or five minutes. We don't have time. But listen to this. Listen to what the New Testament says. God now promises to you by his Holy Spirit who will repent and draw near to him. It's a good news that through his shed blood for you on the cross, which we're about to celebrate, God declares that his just wrath against you is satisfied. The New Testament word is propitiated in the death of his son. The Bible calls that propitiation. No matter how great your sin may be. Hear this. Did you know that if you are in Christ through faith, God cannot punish you? Did you know there are certain things God cannot do? God cannot lie, God cannot change, and God cannot punish you if you are in Christ because He has punished His Son. That would be spiritual double jeopardy. That is amazing, amazing news. I even heard a Presbyterian say amen. That's revival. <laughs> Woo! Okay, time, time. I got to hurry. Next, next. In this new stand, but the, your new standing is not only forgiveness through propitiation, but it's also the good news that God, as judge, now considers, remember this, the horrible record of your sins to be on Jesus. It's called the great exchange. And the perfect record of Jesus to be on your account. The Bible calls that justification. And the ultimate blessing of this new standing even goes more. It is the good news that God now, let this one sink in, that God now considers himself to be your heavenly father. And he promises to accept you and to love you as he accepts and loves his one and only son. This is called the doctrine of adoption. Do you realize that that means that there's nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you anymore? And there's nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you any less because the love He has for you is the same eternal love 
that He has always had for His one and only Son. That's unbreakable. That's the love for you. That's why Paul goes into ecstatic utterance at the end of Romans 8. It's greater, it's higher, it's deeper, it's richer. But there's more. That's the good news of a new standing. Second of the three, God also promises to reverse the curse on your corrupt heart by giving you a new heart with new affections and new power by His indwelling Spirit. You see, God's plan is to save you not only from sin's penalty, but from sin's domineering power and moral corruption. This is the good news that God promises to give you a new heart, a new spirit, His Holy Spirit, with new desires and new motivations. This is called the new birth, the doctrine of regeneration. But there's more. It's the good news that no matter how intense or enslaving your present struggle with sin may be, you can now be free from sin's dominance over your life. The Bible never promises you freedom from sin's influence. You'll struggle with sin until your dying breath. But the Bible promises you freedom from sin's dominance that will rob you of joy and love. The Bible calls this the doctrine of ransom or redemption or sanctification. And the good news, final point, is that God not only promises to reverse your cursed standing by giving you a new standing, propitiation, justification, adoption, and to give you a new heart, regeneration, ransom, redemption, sanctification, setting you free, but He promises to give you a new world when Jesus returns. On that day, God will raise all people who have ever lived from the dead to stand before Him for His final judgment. And the bad news is that as the just judge, He must then separate all who reject Him from His merciful presence forever. But the good news is that as merciful Savior, He promises to usher all His followers into the new creation where heaven will finally return to earth and be a new paradise that's even better than Eden. What started as a garden will end as a celestial, glorious city. And when this happens, God promises you that He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Everything you're experiencing this morning as you're listening to me. All the pain, all the brokenness. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things will have passed away. And then when this happens, you'll say like Jewel the Unicorn from the Chronicles of Narnia, I've come home at last. This is my real country. Everybody going to heaven is making a round trip. Did you know that? This is the land that I've been looking for all my life. So to prepare you for the final exam, let's end with the beginning. What is the gospel? Here's the answer. 
We've seen in scripture that it's the good news about who God is and what God does as triune Lord to rescue us from sin and all of its consequences. And as we drill down just a little more deeply, it's the good news that the Father's creation, ruined by humanity's sin, has been redeemed by Jesus Christ and is being restored by His Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God on the earth according to God's original design. And you'll hear the words of Jesus in this last one. It's the good news on a personal level. Please hear this. That God the Father so loves you, has such a radical unbreakable love for you, you hearing my voice now, that He sent His only begotten Son to redeem you. And He sent His Holy Spirit to restore your broken union with Him forever. How are we to respond? The apostles almost always concluded their presentation of the gospel with a call to draw near. Draw near to this God of grace who loves you with a radical love. Draw near to Him through repentance and faith. Turn away from all the idols that offer you what they can never deliver. Drink from the well that never runs dry. Draw near. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, draw near and experience life. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, that's our heart's desire, especially now as we prepare for your Lord's Supper. Grant us grace that as we eat and as we drink, we might draw near, experiencing anew the richness of your amazing grace. Grant us gifts of repentance and faith that we might draw near and keep drawing near to our living, reigning Lord Jesus and find in Him by Your Spirit new life, new power, new hope in the good news of Your amazing grace. Amen.